This Thacker Slate podcast is hosted by Connie Thacker and Allison Slate, two experienced attorneys who believe honesty, transparency, and knowledge are key to achieving the best legal outcomes. A variety of topics, particularly those related to sensitive family law matters, are candidly covered by Connie and Allison in a way that's refreshing, timely, and practical for listeners. Welcome to another Thacker Slate podcast. Uh, today, I have with me Amy Sterling. She is an expert debt collector, and she is going to talk to us a little bit about how to stay out of collections, but also what to consider when you're going through a divorce with respect to collections. So, Amy, tell us a little bit about your background. Hi, Allison. Thanks for having me today. I have had several years of experience in collections, and one of my main things that I do now at NextGen Law is I'm responsible for reviewing all collection files, including overseeing and implementing efficient collection processes. And some of the things that we do in collections is we send out demand letters for creditors that hire us to help them collect their charged off debt. We also file suits. And then once a judgment is in place, we can go through the process of post-judgment and In post-judgment, that consists of garnishment of wages, bank accounts, uh, orders to seize property for recovery uh, of assets to apply towards debts. So, Amy, I think a lot of people, when they're thinking about collections, they want to stay out of collections, obviously. So, other than paying your debt, what's the best ways to stay out of collections? Or if you're in collections, what's the best way to help yourself along? Uh, Communication is a huge one. Um, I tell a lot of our defendants when they call um, and they set up payment arrangements, I tell them, you know, the best way to keep from anything moving further into um, collecting this debt is just to make sure you contact me and, um, you know, let me know if you can't make your payment arrangement and I'll work with you. And that goes for just about any creditor. As long as you contact them and, you know, you show that you're trying to do something to remedy the situation, most creditors will work with you. They'll, you know, set up a payment arrangement or maybe there's a chance that, um, your debt amount can be reduced, you know, if you can come up with a lump chunk to pay it off. But the best thing to do is to communicate with your creditors. Contact them if you're running into trouble with losing your job or um, you have a health crisis or anything like that that happens. You need to contact your creditors, let them know what's going on, and they'll work with you more times than not. It seems pretty scary though. You get that demand letter and it's sternly worded and it says, hey, we're going to go after you for this debt. I mean, how do you get people to call you and what are the payment arrangements? I mean, can I pay $10 a month? We try to get, you try to figure out a reasonable amount based on the amount of the debt that's owed. Our demand letters do encourage the people to contact us. There's several um, sentences mentioned in that demand letter that say, you know, please contact us um, to talk about your debt or set up a payment arrangement. We try not to sound too scary, <laughs> but um, the best thing is, like I said, to call when you get uh, served your suit, a lawsuit that's a summons and complaint. When people get served, that a lot of their question is, where when's my hearing date? Well, do I need to appear in court? Well. I'm going to encourage everyone to just call the plaintiff's attorney and try to find out what you need to do for the next steps. And I think in my experience, and I don't know if this is your experience too, I think the more 
the further along in the process you get, the less willing you're going to be to work with someone. I mean, if you've sent them a letter that they've ignored or a second letter that they've ignored, if you've had to file a complaint against them and then go through the process of getting a judgment, and then lo and behold, months into the process, they finally call you. I think at that point for me, it's I'm a little less likely to work with you because you've let it go so long. You've made me jump through so many hoops just to collect that debt amount. Is that what you find as well? Yes. Most of our creditors, at that point in time, they've expended time and money trying to get this debt recovered. And at that point, they're not really willing to work out like a settlement amount or if there's a garnishment in place, most creditors do not want to cancel them because they've already expended the cost to the court and the disclosure fee to the you know employer or the bank. And they don't want to cancel those. Once something's in place and we're able to collect the money, then most creditors are just going to keep moving forward. And once you file the lawsuit, what are those fees? Because it's not just the debt at that point. There's going to be a court fee and there's going to be collection fees. What are some of those fees that get tacked on so people have an idea of how much more costly it's going to be the further along the process they get? Yeah, once the suit is filed, I have uh, several defendants that call and ask what they can do and if they want to pay it off. They not only now have to pay off the original amount of the debt, but then they have a filing fee of 55 to $75. They have uh, service fees to the process server, and those can range from anywhere depending on mileage and um, other additional costs if they have to file a motion to get it posted. They can range um, from... $30 to $75 to $100 additional along with your court costs. So then if it moves further than that, um, once a judgment's entered, then there's judgment interest that's added, um, and that's determined based on whether it's a contract or whether it's just a open account. Um, that can add on quite a few more dollars to your balance. And then once garnishments and orders to seize and um, state tax refund filings to try to recover the debt as we keep moving forward, all those costs are added on as well. And if you have an order to seize and the court officer comes and takes your car, you're responsible for storage fees, his fee, um, and whatever court fees he has to pay. And um, it gets quite expensive. So I guess breakdown for the audience. So a garnishment is what and how is that different from an order to seize? A garnishment is a court order that um, allows us to either take your wages, and there's a percentage that's figured out on that after taxes, and that is in place until the debt is paid, until the judgment's paid off. So a wage garnishment cannot be removed um, unless we file a garnishment release, and normally that's only done once the account is paid. There are also bank garnishments, which are non-periodic garnishments, and those can be filed on bank accounts for anything that you have available that uh, isn't exempt um, as far as like Social Security. But your money that you're putting in there from your paycheck that you know you're having direct deposit, that's up for grabs. And then the order to seize, that's where we can take personal property such as cars or boats or anything you have available that uh, may not have a 
real large lean on it. Even if it does have a lean, we can still seize it and see how much we can recover from it. Um, and that is held in storage until this is all determined by the court officer. So you're re- you're racking up fees as it's held. Okay. So my sister and I, we used to play this game when I first started collections. And I'm gonna I'm gonna pick on Dottie. So we're all sitting at the law firm on a Saturday morning, and I'm gonna pick on Dottie, our marketing director, and say that she owes ten thousand dollars, and you get a judgment against Dottie. What are how are you going to collect against her? So people have an idea. What are you gonna go for first, and how are you gonna find the information on Dottie? Well, um, we have a lot of search engine tools, um, and some of those consist of being able to pull a credit report. There are different. Um, engines that we can use to search for assets like do you have a mortgage and um, you know and if they have a mortgage that's probably where they're banking correct yes that's how I kind of figure out where their bank accounts are Um, if they have a car loan that's another spot that I look at um, for garnishing your bank account because more times than not nowadays with the banks if you're going to get a loan, a lot of them encourage you to do direct deposit by knocking down a little percent of your interest if you do direct deposit. So more times than not, <clears throat> if I see where you have some loans at, I'm going to hit your bank accounts there. If I can find out where you're working through some of our search engine tools, do I will... Do some people put that online? I wondered how social media impacts collection. Yes, that's another tool that we use quite often. It's amazing at what people post out there, <laughs> and I can find out a lot about you just from searching social media. So yes, I okay. try to look for uh, your employer or wait uh, banks to hit your gar- you know garnish there. And there are search engines for finding an employer as well, correct? Yes, there is. Okay, what's one of your favorite collection stories? I'm sure you have a ton of them, and I do too. And maybe we can just share one of those those moments where collection has gone so far down the road that it just becomes a little bit laughable at that point. Oh gosh, yes, I do have many stories. Um, I had one guy that was uh, quite humorous. I'd called him numerous times, and um, this was before we were filing suit, and he was very belligerent, obnoxious, and uh, I had told him you know, that while we're going to start collections on this account. And his reply to me was, well, you can't squeeze blood out of a turnip or whatever. And I just started laughing. I just said, okay, well, then I guess we'll see you in court and uh, we'll go from there. And so a lot of these people think that they, they're they just untouchable and and that nothing's going to happen. But they're, at some point in time, there's going to be somewhere along the line that you're going to find something that you can get to recover the debt. And how long are the judgments effective? I mean, how long can you go after these people? Small claims, you can go um, six years um, once the judgment's entered. Um, In regular district court, you have 10 years to collect on that judgment. And at the end of that 10 years, you can renew it for another 10. So these judgments can stay in place and on your credit report for about 20 years um, if you don't do anything to remedy them. Wow. So for employers out there or people that own businesses, Uh, I think a lot of them turn to small claims in order to collect their debt. And they maybe have the office manager there trying to navigate not only their day-to-day tasks, but also the court system. Do you recommend small claims or is that something that you would not recommend? Um, Small claims is maybe good in certain situations where you just have one or two debts that you're trying to collect. But I, I worked small claims for a bank 
back when I first started in collections. And it's quite time consuming because you're filing the paperwork. Once you figure out where they're at, a lot of times the um, banks don't always have all the right search engines to locate these people. Um, So if you do find them and you start the suit, then you got to make sure you get it served in time. There's a hearing set with a small claims right when the paperwork's filed. Um, And then that person that is the representative of that creditor has to go appear in court and um, submit the judgment on the record there at that time. And if uh, the defendants decide to show up, you're, you're there trying to, you know, talk about the case. And um, a lot of people aren't real comfortable with that. So, but if you have multiple accounts, it's better to let your attorney handle it or a collection agency because they have the tools to be able to locate people, locate assets, and then they have the time dedicated to get these accounts to where they need to be, you know, to where you have a judgment and you can collect it and make it a viable way to recover your money. And that's a good point. So even if you get a small claims judgment, an attorney can't help you collect that. You have to do that on your own. So that sounds right. like a lot of time expended for these people who are not uh, well-versed in the process. Right, right. Because if they decide to turn it over to an attorney later, there's a motion to um, remove it from small claims and put it over into district court. And that takes you know a little additional time to get that done. And then then you can move forward from there. But uh, it's it's... It's recommended to have people who are experts in the this field to do that and because it just saves a lot of time for the creditor <clears throat> in being able to find assets and recover the uh, debt a lot faster than somebody who doesn't have that. Well, and there's also statutes and rules out there like the Fair Debt Collection Practices Act that you could accidentally step into and there are fines and penalties for that, correct? Correct, yes. And that's what a lot of people are not well-versed in as well. Um, You know, a lot of these smaller departments, you know, have one person that's maybe doing multiple things, like they're doing the direct calling for like past due accounts. And then they're also trying to do the recovery for the charged off loans. And so then that is where the small claims comes into place if they decide to move forward with that. And it just becomes... um, a little cumbersome if you're not really on top of all the different things that change along with court rules and um, things as you know that a lot of people are not informed on as you keep moving forward. So here at Thacker Slate, obviously we do a lot of divorce work. What can you provide to our listeners that might be helpful to them going through the process and avoiding some of these collection things after the process is over? First, I recommend pulling a credit report so that you can see what your name is on. Because a lot of people that uh, are getting divorced or going through a divorce or once they are divorced and they have the settlement all figured out as far as like who is taking what and who's going to be responsible for the you know particular debts that the couple have acquired while they were married. A lot of people don't understand that it, if your name was on that contract when you were married and you're both joined on it, even though your divorce judgment states Uh, my ex is going to be responsible for this debt, does not mean that you are released from that obligation. The only way to release you from that obligation is that loan needs to be refinanced or paid off. If your divorce judgment states that... um, you know, your ex is going to pay for the car and um, you're not responsible for that, the creditor still will come after you if he falls behind and if both of you are on that loan, you're both responsible for it. And the only way to recover 
is through your divorce judgment. Like if the creditor makes you pay or garnishes your wages um, on this particular loan, um, and then you call and say, well, my ex was supposed to pay for that, the creditor is going to tell you, well, you're still on the contract, you're still obligated to pay it, and so you're going to have to talk to your divorce attorney in order to get that remedy as far as recovering your money. Yeah, and we would recommend to people to call your divorce attorney sooner rather than later because it takes a while to get into court. You have a couple of weeks potentially to wait for a motion hearing. And in the meantime, we'd recommend they just pay the debt because yes. the car could be repossessed and then you're in a position you don't want to be in. I think at repossession, typically the balance is accelerated and the entire balance is usually due. Is that your experience? Yes, yes. Okay. Yep. Yeah, it's always good to be... Um, aware of what you are on so that when you are going through your divorce proceedings, you kind of know what to expect. And if you're able to have your spouse refinance something so your name is off of it, or if you're able to refinance something that you're responsible for and get your spouse off of it, that's highly recommended because then that way you know that if he go he or she goes past due on something and your name's not on it any longer, then you don't have to worry. Well, Amy, thank you so much for coming here this morning on a Saturday to talk with us about collection. We really appreciate it. And I think for our listeners, the the biggest tip here is be proactive and communicate, and that will keep you out of trouble as far as uh, Amy's concerned. Yes, thank you very much. Thank you for listening to this episode of our Thacker Slate podcast. If you have additional questions, do not hesitate to contact us at 616-888-3810 or visit our website, thackerslate.com, for additional information. 